And one thing I will say is words matter. I tell our staff that all the time. The way you say it, what you say, and your body language matter. So always think before you say something. That was Kathy Nelson, and this is Guild Stories. Hey, y'all, and welcome to Guild Stories, the podcast where every person has a story, and it's the stories that connect us all. I'm Justin Rickliffs, founder and CEO of Guild Content, husband of Brooke, and father of five young people. And I'm joined today by my lovely co-host, who happens to be my wife as well. Hey, guys, I'm Brooke, owner of Reclaim the Home, Justin's wife and mother of five. We're so grateful you're here. This podcast is a place where we'll explore the stories of hustlers, dreamers, and doers, who are going for it by pursuing meaningful work and living life with purpose. Welcome to Guild Stories. Hey guys, welcome back in to Guild Stories. Um, today's guest is has had, a, a like all of us, a wild ride these last few weeks. Her, for her, more specifically, the last few months, um, as she led and organized a massive um, party in Kansas City in the greater surrounding areas by throwing the Chiefs uh, Super Bowl parade. So we're pumped to have Kathy Nelson, the president and CEO of the Kansas City Sports Commission, and win for KC on the show today. We, her, her, her bio and accolades are long and lengthy, and so we will include that in the show notes. But she is a very accomplished leader, um, one, of the, one of the top leaders in Kansas City, both from a sports and entertainment perspective and also just from a leadership and business influence perspective. So we are thrilled and humbled to have you on the show. Show, Kathy. Thanks for joining us. Well, my honor. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. And and um, I'm not sure if you remember this because you you have a wider net probably than I do. But um, when I was working at the Chiefs, you and I met through a mutual friend, Angie Lovett at Sprint. I don't know if you remember um, yes. that connection, but yeah. So I've always admired your your work and your influence, and uh, I feel um, grateful to be able to to kind of pick your brain about leadership and influence and business and certainly the stuff we're we're all going through as we navigate this crazy um crazy time we find ourselves in with the coronavirus stuff well i absolutely remember you i remember you working at the chiefs so i think that's great now to be visiting with you uh, via podcast i think this is fantastic well, that's awesome. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a fun a fun way for us to connect to folks and and um, and get to hear their stories. So, um, it, it, you know that we are recording this today is Friday, <clears throat> the twentieth, and you know w- with the way everything is, and, and this will no one else but you and me will hear this until um, next Wednesday, the twenty fifth. And so we usually don't kind of timestamp and date everything, and in, in the event that things change or we slide interviews around or whatnot. Um, but given the, the way that our world is changing by the, by the hour, even, um, some of the mm-hmm. stuff, even that we're mm-hmm. talking about today may be drastically different next Wednesday. Um, but you know, I, I don't want to doom and gloom everything or, or get too, too far down this road, but I, I do think it's worth kind of at the outset and the jump here saying, um, at least acknowledging what we're all going through. I mean, this kind of shared global human experience of, of, um, uncertainty and fear and being unsettled and, and how folks are, are doing with that. So obviously first and foremost, we hope you and your family are well and, and stay, stay safe during all this, um, uh, craziness, but maybe more specifically, can you give us kind of some insight into how you've approached, um, this season, whether that's with your team or with, uh, I mean, you, you've gone kind of 180 degrees from throwing a Super Bowl parade a few weeks ago to yeah. now, now figuring yeah. out what, what, what's next. Yeah. You know, working in sports, it's, um, it's such a crazy time. And you just said it, it changes every hour, except for us right now, the change is pretty much done, right? Everything's canceled. So our change has already happened in our industry. And now it's, how do we recover? Um, and it, it's, uh, it's eye-opening. It's a little frightening at times, but it's also a way to figure out how do we connect and how do we unite in different ways. So we're all working remotely now, which is weird because we're small staff, but yet we like to be around each other. And it's hard to go, okay, I'll call you tomorrow. It's, it's eye-opening and it's difficult. And it's difficult when Bob Boldly, the commissioner of the Big 12, says, and I'll call you next week to check in. Like, that's just so bizarre. But at the same time, we know that 
sports unites us and that we have to continue to figure out how to stay united because hopefully in six weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks, whatever this takes, we will be the first as a sports industry to come back and unite our communities through sports. Yeah, I, I think, man, that's a, it's a neat perspective. Um, how big is the team that you're leading right now? So we're a staff of 16, and nice. then we typically have four interns. So we normally operate a staff of 20 um, on any given day, and we're we were in the process of hiring a couple new full-time employees, and now we're going to put that on hold, obviously, until we figure out what's next for us. But um, we're one of the bigger sports commissions in the country as a standalone sports commission, so it's a great place to be. It's, you know, sometimes I think, my gosh, how did we get this big? But we continue to bring on events and own events and create events. And, uh, and then there are days where I'm like, we don't have enough people to get all of this done. <laughs> sure. I know the feeling <laughs> we're, we're, we're not as, as big as you, but, um, I, we, we definitely know the feeling. So for, for those that don't know, and, and, and I'm sure we'll circle back to, uh, coronavirus and, and kind of how, how we're all, um, walking our way forward in the dark here a little bit and, and doing our best. Um, but, but for those that don't know, tell us a little bit about what the Sports Commission is, that, that what the role that you guys play uh, from a service perspective, and, and then maybe, you know, kind of even more specifically some of, uh, I mean, I know your impact in terms of planning the Royals Parade and the Chiefs Parade and mm -hmm. the Big 12 mm -hmm. and having a, a huge seat at the table for the NFL draft this coming, um, knock on wood. So help us, yeah. uh, help us, <laughs> yeah, help us understand uh, the, the commission and, and, and specifically kind of yeah. what you guys do day to day? Well, we are, um, we're a little complicated, if you will. We're actually two, we are two different companies in one building, in one, one office. We're the Kansas City Sports Commission, which is a C6, and we're the Kansas City Sports Foundation, a C3. We operate as one individual company, but on paper, we are two separate ones. But I tell our staff often, we focus in three areas. We focus on getting people to participate, getting our kids and our community to understand what it means to play ball, to go for a run. We focus on that word participate every day and what are we doing to, to either create opportunities to participate or to encourage or to advocate for people to participate. Then the next thing that most of us know is for is spectate. What are we doing to allow people to spectate sports? So just as you said, planning the Super Bowl parade, the World Series parade, what a great spectating event that was. In Big 12, we want people to go buy a ticket to an amateur or pro event. So we're focused on participation, spectating, and then lastly, celebrating sports. It, I mean, it's, it's this whole thing of we're inspired by what happens on the court or the field and how do we celebrate that. So we host an annual, our annual Win for KC Women's Sports Awards Luncheon in February. And then in the summer, we host our Sports Commission Awards Banquet. And that allows us to celebrate. And just like with the parades, right, we're celebrating victories. We're celebrating sports and that. So you can think of us as, a lot of people think of us as an event company, that we, we own events, we plan events, which is truly what we do. But that participate, spectate, and celebrate that's what makes our industry work. It's really fascinating. <clears throat> I haven't, excuse me, I haven't heard that, um, that, that language used and, and maybe I missed that on, on your website. Um, but I, I really like how even just from a, a vision and, and reinforced value perspective, those seem to be very, you know, three very clear buckets you can, um, continue to bring your team but also others in, in in the community into your story a little bit how, how did you guys kind of land on right. those those three I'm sure there's a an exercise or or a, a value um, workshop that you did <laughs> actually not not exactly we did our strategy planning a few years back with our board of directors and came up with a new vision statement of our vision every day is making Kansas City better through sports and then, of course, we have our mission statement. But as I really started to grow in my role and hire more staff and do more things, when it comes right down to it, that's really what we do, right? We, we are there to help people participate, allow people to spectate, and encourage others to celebrate. 
so those three words kind of came about organically and working with our staff and seeing them every day, what are they focused on? I think that really helps our board of directors, our volunteers, our donors, our sponsors of all of our events to go, okay, I'm involved because I want to also encourage people to participate. And that's really how it just kind of came about. That's awesome. I love that story. Um, help us kind of understand too, and, and maybe winding you all the way back to the beginning. Um, I, I, th- I think from, from the out, certainly from the outside and, and also, uh, yeah, I mean, l- let me ask it this way. The, the perception of having a very high powered influential role in sports is something that, um, is really cool and, and you don't get that, you know, lots of other places. How in the heck did you get there? Like, what was your path, you know, from a, from a, um, where'd you grow up? What'd you go to, you know, how did you get interested mm-hmm. in this? Like how, what was your journey along the way? Oh, I feel very blessed and fortunate every day to think of how I ended in this role. And I don't, I mean, it, you know, I, I didn't create this. I didn't, I didn't drive to go, this is what I'm going to be when I grow up. Um, I had opportunities open for me along the way. I born and raised in Kansas City. My, my dad worked for TWA and my mom worked for Western Auto downtown at that great building, Pyshik building. So I grew up here. I went to Winnetonka High School. Um, I never thought I would stay here. I attended Truman State in Kirksville, Missouri. And after college, I thought, well, now what? Well, I had been a chemistry major in college, and up until my junior year, well, it was a Division two school, so it was a little bit smaller school, I was in the same class, normally the only female in my chemistry classes, and as I got to those upper-level chemistry classes, and I particular a lab class, my professor says, you know, I don't really know what to do with you. You're a girl, wow. and I've, I've never really thought that much about it, and back then, you know, it wasn't, that wasn't a bad thing to say, if you will. It was, oh, yeah, I guess he's right. I wouldn't, I don't know. I'm the girl. And then he says, I'm assuming you'll teach. I thought that, I guess, that'd work. And I did my student teaching, and I am not cut out to be a teacher. I bless all those who are, because that's a difficult job. So I student taught chemistry in a high school setting, and I was miserable. Wow. I was, at the time, a uh, radio DJ, and... um the professor at Truman State at the time came and said, have you ever thought about this as a career? And had no idea what he was talking about and quickly switched my major to television and radio and fell in love with it. And then I did an internship at Fox 4 in Kansas City. And at the time, it wasn't Fox. It was NBC, WDAF TV. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, Channel 4. Um, so I got out of school and ran into a news anchor who I'd been an intern for. And she said, well, what are you doing? Like, I'm trying to find a radio or TV job somewhere. She goes, we have an opening in our in our newsroom on the assignment desk. And, and it was a Wednesday. I called the news director, and I started on Friday. And that was it. Um, and I spent 12 years at Channel 4 and had started doing production on the sports side in the television truck and met quite a few different people. I moved back to the sports department at Channel 4. I sat, I worked with Kevin Heachman and Al Wallace and Frank Bowl, who were truly mentors of mine and consider them still good friends of mine. And as we, as I continued to grow, I met some guys that wanted to do high school sports on TV. And I was an athlete, and I thought, that would, that would be awesome. How do we get that done? So we decided to go out on our own and, and create something kind of crazy, and the guys these three guys started at first and it was called Metro sports and decided that I would jump and leave my broadcast position and go help them grow from a six hour a day um, opportunity to, I, I was in, I was growing them to a 24 hour sports channel when I left channel four to go start at Metro sports and help start up Metro sports. So I have that background of business planning, if you will, creating a business plan hiring people, understanding how you pull people together to make something work and creating kind of something out of nothing almost. And I think when I had the opportunity in 2010 to come work at the sports commission for Kevin Gray, who was the president then, it kind of felt like the right thing to do. So I had worked in television for 
24 years, but it was my time to go to that nonprofit side and work in sports and nonprofit. So I went to work for Kevin and he passed away six months after mm-hmm. I started. Mm-hmm. Um, and then here I am. So it's just been this, every door opened at different times. Sometimes for very unfortunate and, and horrifically sad reasons and other times for creating an opportunity or for someone to say, come along with me and let's, let's figure this out. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm grateful you would share that. That's really, um, really powerful. And, and, and uh, something you said kind of stuck out. I mean, a lot, a lot that you said stuck out, but one thing in particular was, um, you know, that, that professor that, um, I I don't want to assume bad intention here, but that he almost labeled, Oh, I mean, you're a, you're a girl. Like, we'll just put you over here right. in the teaching bucket. And, and, and as a dad of, of four daughters who, you know, our oldest is 16, kind of not, not as much as mom and I would, her mom and I would like her to do, but thinking, <laughs> thinking about her future, what she's going to do <laughs> and um, how she's going to take kind of ownership and responsibility of her own life. It's insane to me how powerful comments like that, 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 that maybe he, that guy doesn't even remember um, or said right. flippantly, but how that impacted an, an identity and a role and and a direction that that ultimately, again, you you worked your way through it and, and all that and 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 changed your course. But um, it, it's just fascinating to me, kind of these these um, spoken, but maybe even un, sometimes unspoken expectations mm-hmm. or roles. And as, as we kind of all went through with the Kobe Bryant stuff and his influence with his daughter, it's like, man. You, I think you are, you know, uniquely positioned to influence the younger women in Kansas City through the Win for KC stuff and all the all the different ways you're doing that. Um, but anyway, that that just that popped out to me to think, gosh, like what a what a mm-hmm. may, maybe for him a throwaway comment led to something that you had to kind of wrestle to uh, get get off right. get off of your identity at some point, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think that. You know, I, I have no ill feelings towards him whatsoever because at the time I was like, oh, he's right. What would I do? Isn't that funny? And then, you know, you're, even my parents were like, well, I guess, you know, you, you teach. And my, my mom supported that idea. So it was interesting in that um, at that time, looking back, and one thing I will say is words matter. I tell our staff that all the time. The way you say it, what you say, and your body language matter. So always think before you say something. And I look back to that time in my life of how much impact those words had on me. I wouldn't be where I am today without those words. And yet, looking back, how damaging those words were and are now to someone like your daughters. I have daughters. I don't want anyone to tell them, well, I wouldn't know what to do with you. That's horrible. And even now in my role now, I have a dear friend of mine who I truly call my truth teller. I believe in having mentors, but I'm a bigger believer in having truth tellers around me, people that I can call on that will give me their honest opinion and, you know, tell me, yeah, that that's exactly how you should handle this or don't ever say that again. So I had a guy that my truth teller, when Kevin passed away, Kevin Gray, and they were doing a search for the, for his replacement as president and CEO. And they'd interviewed people across the country and they had a great search committee going and it had gone on a few months and the board chair came to me and said, we think you should apply for this role. And I said, Oh gosh, no, no, no. I wouldn't know anything about how to run a nonprofit. I don't know that I'm the person to lead the sports commission organization. I'm still trying to figure out exactly what we do. And at the time, the university of Missouri was leading the big 12 conference at that time. And there were other things that I thought, I certainly I'm not the person to take this job. Well, my friend, my truth teller says, you need to turn off that sign in your head. Like, what are you talking about? And he says, you're the only person that can see the sign in your head that says, I'm not capable. Because you've got to turn off that sign because you're the person that thinks you're not capable. Everyone else around you knows you can do this job. And I look back on that those words and how much those words matter. I think about that all the time when he told me that I go, maybe he's right. And so of course I went, I told the board chair, I'd be happy to apply. I'm happy to go through this process. And then here I am nine years later. But isn't that crazy that 
I told myself I wasn't capable of doing this job and everyone else around me thought, no, you're the person to lead the sports commission. Man, that's awesome. I, 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 I mean, there's, there's so many um, responses I have, but uh, I think I'll, I'll just start with, holy crap, like, thanks for, thanks for sharing mm-hmm. that. I think it's powerful. I think it's, um, it's so true. And, and, and to, you know, I'm even thinking of my own life recently, like this week, I composed um, some thoughts uh, just about some of all this stuff that we're going through um, that I was, I was going to hopefully turn into a blog post and, and share it and publish it. And my truth, you know, I've, I have several as well. I love that language, but you know, my, my closest truth teller is my wife. And so I send this piece to Brooke kind of with this like boyish, you know, Hey, uh, almost, Hey, we tell me it's really good. Right. Like that's the, that was yeah. my hope. Um, <laughs> And I didn't hear from her. And then, so finally I texted her. I'm like, Hey, did you read that post I sent you? She's like, Oh yeah, sorry. Got busy, whatever. Um, and, and she asked for permission to be honest. And, and, um, she's, she basically, <laughs> I'll, I'll spare you the details. She did it in love <laughs> in love and in kindness, but she was basically like, Hey dude, that read more like a, a journal entry than something that's helpful to anybody else. <laughs> and I was like, cool. <laughs> got it. And, and, okay, and, and yeah. On, and honestly, at first my, the ego kind of rose up in me of like, what? Like I, I was, not, I was wanting you to tell me that I'm awesome and that's amazing and that you right. think that will change the world. Um, but, but her honesty then allowed me to kind of sit back and, and, and process that and think, oh yeah, no, she's, she has earned the right to be honest with me and mm-hmm. I, and I need that. Um, and, and it was really a powerful moment for, for me. And so I love that concept of, of, surrounding yourself with truth tellers. I think that's fascinating. It's mm-hmm. really, really helpful. I'm thankful you'd share that. Well, and I think it's my responsibility as a leader now to be a truth teller for others. And, you know, I, I tell, I do a leadership speech. And um, one of my remarks is to lift as you rise. And it's my responsibility to provide leadership opportunities for everyone that works for me. And I also believe that I need to be their truth teller. So I expect my team to tell me and be very open and honest with me. But you have to be, you just said it, you have to be willing to take that criticism. And it's not necessarily criticism. It's just, hey, I want to know what you think. So if you ask that, you got to be prepared to hear it. That's right. That's right. How how do you instill, um, you mentioned kind of leadership development. I'd just be curious, and maybe this is free advice you're giving me, um, in, in the name of a podcast, right? <laughs> but like, how do you, yeah. <laughs> um, how do you practically develop your team into, cause I think that's, you know, the, the sign of a great leader is developing other leaders. Right. So, um, mm-hmm. how, how are you mindful and intentional to, to do that in your role? Well, being a small staff, it's much more difficult because there's not enough opportunities for people to rise in the organization, if you will. And the great thing for us is we don't have much turnover, which is wonderful. But if people don't leave, that makes it difficult for others to be able to have that opportunity to grow. So what we do is focus on what can we provide outside of our walls that gives someone a challenge and an opportunity to lead. So we really encourage our staff to serve on other boards and committees to get involved with groups outside of the organization and to find places to lean in and to insert themselves where they can say, hey, I can help here. And we have a very flexible uh, office where, you know, you can work remote as needed well before the coronavirus came to play, came into as an impact. We've had that policy where a couple days a month you can work where wherever you need to be. And that allows our staff to say, hey, I want to be involved with um, Jen Casey through the chamber or Centurions or other opportunities throughout our community where they can go in and serve and give back. And then also be in charge of something else because they're learning then how to lead a committee, how to be on the board, which brings back that knowledge and that talent selfishly to our office. And then I think that we do a lot of great things in our office that can help other community groups. And even if it's just our staff showing up, um, you know, at a volunteer day somewhere where we can give back because we do 
we have to have people, again, participate in our events that we own. That's how we make our money. We need you to run the Kansas City Marathon. That keeps our doors open. We need you to buy a Big 12 ticket and spectate, and we want you to come to the win luncheon and celebrate. So we know it's our chance to give back. So I think creating leadership opportunities outside of our walls, because we're a small company, is what's becoming more and more critical and very much... um, uh, I have that that sense of responsibility to give back. That's where we can help our staff grow in those leadership opportunities. That's awesome. That's huge. And, and, and just by the very nature of your business, I mean the the calendar almost dictates again with this massive exception that's taking place right now when events have come to a screeching halt. Um, but assuming we all rebound to get through and, and find our footing again, um, the calendar for your business, I imagine, dictates many of those opportunities in the, in the sense of there are some natural tent poles in your world that you're going, look, like NFL draft's coming. Like that's a big opportunity, mm-hmm. e- even if you don't get a title increase or a influential, you know, mm-hmm. seat at the table increase, you've got the ability to rise to these challenges and meet these leadership demands and, 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 and step onto the same side of the rope and pull it in the, in the same direction, as opposed to, Oh man, right. like, this is just part of my job. Right. Like I, I think there's some really cool right. um, calendar events for you that you, you, your team just naturally has the opportunity to step in and, and lead. Oh, and I think, like I said, we have uh, very few times have we had turnover and, you know, think of the Super Bowl parade. We divided and conquered, and everyone gets assigned tasks to get that parade done. It can't all fall on my plate, and we work with O'Neill events. Um, they're a staff of four, so between all our two teams getting together. Well, I'll use Jacob on my staff as an example. He, he is an unbelievable rock star in our office, but I want to figure out how to challenge him. So when it came to the parade, Jacob, you and Nicole are responsible or transfer vehicles, go figure it out. Run your own mini business inside of our business and figure out what we're going to do for parade vehicles and how we're going to get everybody to where they need to be. So they go off and do their thing and come back, right? They have mini meetings and then come back in the overall group and start to lay that out for us. So I think that our office provides very unique and exciting opportunities. If you're a sports fan working inside the sports commission, you will get a wide range of all kinds of opportunities to be involved with professional sports and then amateur and youth as well. That's awesome. Um, I'm, I'm smiling because I'm, I'm imagining most of our, our listeners don't have the, the working knowledge that, um, you know, most Chiefs fans watched the Super Bowl Sunday, thought we were going to lose with seven minutes left, Come back, come back yeah. and win. They go crazy. Go to Academy or Dicks or whatever. Buy all their stuff. Drink a couple of uh-huh. beverages. Wake up Monday morning and go. Oh damn, the parade's Wednesday. I got to get off work. Like they th- that timeline was compressed to three and a half days for them. Um, your timeline was was not three and a half days. Like put, no, put, put no. us put us in the in the seat of of um, what what did that look like? And again, not all the details because because sure. you probably have a million of them, but the high level, like when did that start planning? Who's involved? Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a, you know, to use the Hamilton musical language, like put us in the room where it happened. How did that all go down? Yes. <laughs> Love that, by the way. So um, it's coming back to KC. So, well, uh, hopefully I know I can, hopefully I cannot wait to go again. That was fantastic. So, so this might help give some perspective in 2014, the Royals are, are playing well. They're getting ready to go to postseason. And the mayor calls and says, hey, you know, will you, will you plan this parade? And I go, wait, why would I be in charge of that? Why would I plan a parade? We plan sporting events. And Mayor James says, well, what's the difference? Like, yeah, I did not have a quick answer for that. So, okay, we're going to plan the parade. So then the Royals reach out and said, hey, we trust your organization. We trust you. We need you and the sports commission to, t- to help us out here and figure this out. Because, of course, they're focused on the season. 
and everything that comes, all the complications that come with making it to postseason and then going to a World Series. So in 2014, of course, I get to Game 7. We were prepared to do that parade. We had started to plan the parade. Um, it was probably early September when we really got serious about it, sitting with police and city officials, public works, everybody around the table to go, okay, well, how do we do this? There's no playbook for it. Right. We haven't done this in a very long time. What happened? So we had planned that in 2014. I will tell you, thank goodness that did not pan out. The route in 2014 was about a mile. We didn't know. We were thinking, okay, 200,000 people, maybe. Who knows? <laughs> um, so they lose. And in February, I went to Josh on our staff, and I said, I, I think the parade should be longer. I can, And, you know, if they win a year from now, I think this should be longer. Because looking at other past cities that have hosted how big their crowds are, knowing how Kansas Cityans would turn out, plus, it's you know, the world has been decades. So we started planning in February of 2015 for the World Series Parade. Wow. And it was so funny. Everyone's like, my gosh, you plan that in two days. And I think, yeah, if you really think that, I have no clue how events <laughs> work. Right. And then the same thing with the Chiefs. Of course, in 2019 um, or 2018, the can, season's can going well. They're going to post. Sure. I, I yeah. totally interrupted you. So the you, in February of 15, you start planning for the parade that then became what? What happened on that spring day? <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Luckily, the route was twice as long. It was a little over two miles. Um, and we ended up celebrating a 71-degree sunny day, celebrating our champions. And and it all came together, and it came together perfectly. Um, I think that day is one I will, well, so many dates now in my career I'll forever mem- remember. But looking around that, I have so many funny stories from both World Series Parade and Super Bowl Parade, but one of my favorites is my daughter at the time. My youngest daughter was 16, and she's kind of my sidekick the older she gets on these events because she knows how I like to operate. She can handle media requests and radios and telephones. She can, she can just, just plug and play, and she can get it all done. So we're at, let's see, we started at Union Station that morning. And a few people had started to show up, a few hundred people. And this is 2015, of course, a beautiful November day. And it's 4 o'clock in the morning. And we're setting up everything at Union Station. About 9-ish or so, we get on our golf cart to get to Sprint Center, where we're going to bring all the players to Sprint Center. And we had all their trucks staged in the underneath Sprint Center or on the main event level. So all those trucks are lined up there. It was a beautiful picture. The players were going to be at Kaufman, and we were bringing them by bus to, to, to a Sprint Center. So we get to Sprint Center, we get the players on their vehicles, we get everybody ready to go, and then myself and Kelly O'Neill are calling the kickoff of the parade. So a vehicle would come up, I'd cue the fireworks, and get them on the road. Well, we get, the, we get um, everybody out onto the parade route, jump on the golf cart, and race them back so we can beat them back to Union Station so we can be there to help babies off of the trucks and get everybody into Union Station and out onto the stage. We get back to Union Station. Now we're heading north on Main, kind of where the streetcar ends there, and we pull our golf cart up, and my daughter turns it around, and she looks at me, and now you can visualize the hill, the picture, right, of hundreds of thousands of people in blue, that sea of blue, and she looks at me and she goes, oh, my gosh, Mom, I cannot wait for you to plan my wedding. <laughs> and I thought, oh, my gosh. Oh, dear, what have I done? But, but as excited as we were and everything, at that same moment where I wanted to laugh, panic also set in. Sure. Because we don't have cell service. And now all I could think of is, how do I keep my staff safe in case something happens? How do I keep my work family protected if something goes wrong? And it was a celebratory moment, but it was also a gut check of, were we really prepared for this? So, so many lessons learned from 2015 to what just happened in 2020. Oh my gosh. Thanks for sharing. Because I, I think the, uh, so we'll get to the Chiefs thing. Uh, there, there has to be this insane amount of healthy, good, 
pride or just fun. Like you can't walk into any corporate office in Kansas city virtually without seeing a giant picture of of that day. Um, and, and, and it's such an iconic, I mean, literally like a historical transformational city moment of 700,000 people dressed in blue celebrating to use, to use your language, celebrating, not, not just a team, but it tapped into this, you know, much more visceral, emotional, connected. And, and that, that's obviously, you know, part, part of what we're missing right now in our, in our culture is like, I talked to a good friend who, you know, Brian Johnston yesterday and, mm-hmm. and Brian mm-hmm. was like, dude, it's just crazy that literally nothing's on nothing. There's nothing to distract. And, and, and in a bad way, sometimes you can numb out or distract or, or whatever, uh, with sports or with a lots of other things, but sports has also on, on the positive been this great unifier, this great equalizer, this great yeah. kind of connecting point. And Brian's going, man, like all, all we have is kind of each other, which is great. Um, or mm-hmm. CNN or Fox news or whatever. <laughs> it's just like, right. Ter- and who wants to turn that on right now? Yeah. It's terrifying. Right. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. it's funny when you say that about that picture being in, in offices, there have been numerous times, you know, people don't know who's behind the scenes, which is exactly what we're that behind the scenes event planner. We're the behind the scenes, which is perfect. But a lot of times people just don't know that the sports commission led the charge on that. And people say, Oh my gosh, were you there? Did you go? And I, I still have yet to figure out how to answer that, you know, cause it sounds pretty pompous to say, well, actually I, I planned, I planned it. <laughs> so yeah. Like, well, so, um, Billie Jean King, a famous, of course, tennis player, wrote a book called Pressure is a Privilege, one of my favorite quick read leadership books. And I think about that every time I see that picture in someone's office, and now hopefully we see that same red picture, is the pressure of planning those events for our city where now millions of people will forever remember that date. What a privilege it was to have that pressure of planning those. And I think about that book all the time now when I see that picture, my pressure is a privilege. I got to keep telling myself that pressure is a privilege because those are high pressure days and high pressure months leading into those things. Oh, that's well said. So, so now walk us into 2019. You start planning Chiefs Parade in 2019. 20, in 2018. Oh, okay. We got started it. planning in 2018 again that looks like they're going to head to postseason. So we had started those conversations on route. We knew it, would, it needed to be different, feel different, look different. Weather was going to be different. So even though we had lessons learned, there were things that applied, definitely. Things we learned that were helpful. But it also was a very different event. So in 2018, we planned. Um, I was fortunate to watch the AFC Championship game from the suite inside Arrowhead with Roger Goodell and Eric Stone Street in the 2019 when they lost. And um, Roger was funny. He kept saying, are you ready? If, if they win, are you ready for this? I said, I told him, Roger, I'm ready to play in a Super Bowl parade and I'm ready to host the NFL draft because at that time That's we awesome. had not been awarded the draft yet. And he looked at me and high-fived me and he's like, okay, okay. Um, and then they lost. But that didn't mean that we just stopped planning. We continued communication with most, most importantly, uh, the police department and fire department working on the route and what that was going to look like. And then once we got through that and we got into the 2019 season, we, we continued to have weekly meetings about the parade. And it's funny, people would say, I can't believe this, you're going to jinx them. Like, do you really want us to wait until two weeks out to plan this? No. Nobody, that wouldn't work. Nobody would do that. All great cities are already planning this. Um, You just don't hear about it. And we don't want you to know that we're planning it. We want you to celebrate and be surprised and and not stress about it. That's what we're here for. So we had been planning for quite a few months. That's awesome. So similar to your Royal story, are there any big stories that, that you, you know, as you think about that day and, February, um, just to, I mean, just a few weeks ago, gosh, um, yeah. what, what was that like? Uh, what, what's something that you'll take away, you know, that, that you'll tell stories 
long after you're retired to your grandkids about that that that's cold, not seventy one degree morning. <laughs> right. Yeah. It wasn't. It was not warm. It definitely uh, was a little brisk. I, I think um, I have numerous stories, of course, and and uh, for me, seeing the excitement of our staff plan that because now our staff has, has grown a few more headcounts and everyone was so excited and you know such big Chiefs fans in our office and, and football fans so to see everyone act like little kids that were really planning this and then you know we were all up the night before setting hay bales in parade vehicles and making sure there were coolers on each parade vehicle and where the ice trucks going and how are we getting the mayor to where he needs to be and the governor's coming in all those details, thousands and thousands of little details coming together. Um, and the other thing that a lot of people don't realize is not only on that day, on that Wednesday, did we throw a parade, there were three massive parties going on at the same time. So we were planning parties that would typically take us a year to plan. We planned three of those for that day and the parade and all the transportation logistics. So, you know, just seeing our staff high-five each other that day and hug to think that really came to fruition. Um, one of my favorite memories is, and I don't have it in front of me, but Clark Hunt sent the nicest letter after about our efforts and what it meant to their family. That is probably one of my favorite things I'll take away from that day is that he truly he cares about what we do and I know he cares about me as a person, but to have him write that out and say what it meant to his family, that will forever be a, a heartfelt moment for me to have him put that on word of what he took from that. Oh, that's powerful. Did he, did he, was that an email? Was it a letter? How, what, what, what did that look like? It was a letter. Like a handwritten letter? Yeah. Um, no, it was typed out, but it was handwritten plain. And awesome. I will say awesome. that, the day of, so we get, everyone is wrapped up and we're getting everyone back on the buses to go back to Arrowhead because we bust them all from Arrowhead in different ways. But then after the parade, we get, you know, 3,000 people back on buses to get them back out. And I never thought I would get to see as many people as I did trying to navigate all the buses. But sure enough, out came Clark out of Union Station and he saw me and he just came over in a big bear hug and he goes, thank you. Thank you. And I thought, well, that was worth everything we've done for the past year and a half right there to see him smile and his pride and then share that moment with me. It was a little emotional to go, wow, we really just made that happen. That's so awesome. I'm, I'm, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's a powerful, um, again, not to, not to bring it down into somber today reality, but it's like, man, those, <clears throat> excuse me, those memories are, are, are fresh. I mean, they're, they're less than two months ago. And, and that was a real uh, reality for this, for the city. And, and, and I had the pleasure of, of working for that family. And I, and I can tell you that it's, it's every bit as gen, I mean, that, that private moment with Kathy Nelson after the parade isn't something Clark is like tweeting about or trying to put a PR, no. trying to put a PR spin on, right? I mean, it's just, yeah. it's, yeah, it's just, right. it's just genuine humanity and gratefulness. And it's, um, it's really, really cool. And we certainly need more of that, especially these days. Um, I want to, I, I want to, yeah. uh, you've, you've got to run um, here soon. So we're going to wrap this, but I, I want to bring this back to a, a, an interesting point that, that is on, your in on your bio page on your website on the website um sportkc.org by the way for those out there that want to check this out um and, and it ties back to the story you just told but also that conversation with that professor or teacher um and and, and I think it's it's real it's a really interesting way to position or, or frame this so it goes through your your credentials and all the cool stuff you've done on the board you serve on. Um, you were you were part of the uh, women who mean business, which is great, awesome honor. <clears throat> what I think is really fascinating is says the Kansas City Star included Nelson 
on their list of 20 most influential sports figures in Kansas City, placing her at number five. Um, and it's behind folks that I think most people, even not, not in the sporting world, would know. Clark Hunt, CEO and owner of the Kansas City Chiefs, who we just talked about. Dayton Moore, who is the Royals general manager and also planned a parade. Um, the next is Peter. And a good friend. Yeah, Peter Vermees, the Sporting KC coach and technical director. And again, won championships, high level. Um, and, and David Glass, who at the time was the Royals owner, who um, <clears throat> that obviously has now been, been transferred over to John Sherman, and, and the Glass family has gone through their own grief and sadness. But, and, and then Kathy Nelson. And, and I think it's just this really cool, not that, whatever, uh, I'll let you tell the story. But to, to come from, I don't know what to do with you. <laughs> you mm-hmm. You're a girl. You're a teacher. You should be a teacher, which mm-hmm. great. Like, praise God for teachers, right? Like, teachers are amazing, yes. and we need way more of them, and, and I can't even imagine their uncertainty and the fear that they're going through right now. Um, but to go from, I don't know what to do with you, to thank <laughs> you, thank you from uh, one of the you know, most influential sports men uh, and families in the, in the, in the world. Um, mm-hmm. That's pretty cool and pretty profound. And uh, I just, I, I love to kind of hear your closing thoughts on, <laughs> on that. Had never really connected the two that way, I guess. Um, I think that I have had opportunities presented to me that I've had people around me encourage me to, to move on, to take and to, to, to tackle. And my parents never told me any different than I was going to be a leader. I grew up with a basketball court in our backyard where my dad and I shot baskets well into the evening and my mom helped us set up track meets in our one acre of a backyard. And we had a stock tank for a swimming pool, and she made sure we were swimming every day. I think that my parents really molded me into what I do today, that I saw them as leaders in their jobs and in our church and in our school, and I just didn't know any different. So, yeah, one person in my college career may have challenged that of, well, because you're a female, you're not going to have the same opportunities. But my parents never said that. I was never surrounded with anyone else that said that. And I, I today, our sports commission staff is, is pretty equal of men and women. And I guess we are all capable of doing our job. We all have that privilege of being under pressure in those situations. And it's how you tackle it. It doesn't matter, male or female. And I, I just think that's interesting. You, you've brought those two up, connected those two, because I hadn't thought about that before. But just approaching it every day is I need to do a job. And those around me know that I'm here to do my job and do it well, I think is what's much more important than, well, you're a girl. I don't know what to do with you. So, so well said. Yeah. And I just, I think this city is full of, um, of, of, yeah. I mean, stories like that, which are fun to tell and hear. And, you know, I I think of Jeanette Pringer who runs Echo Select and she, was mm-hmm. one, one of one of you know, you know thirty technical coders and and uh, software developers back in the day, the only the only woman in the class. Like I think of Lisa Gifford right. running Community America. Like I, I, I and 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 I'm you know selfishly looking. The CEO of of the Rickliffs crew is my wife Brooke. Without question, <laughs> without question, <laughs> and and, and, and she's raising up. Um, you know, fortunately with with uh, my influence as well for really strong, beautiful, tough, um, determined young women. And so, uh, that was a, a, a somewhat of a selfish question for me too. Um, but I'm so thankful that you, you kind of helped me bring it, bring it home. So before you run, we, we close every podcast with the, with, um, the same five questions. And so real quick, um, just first thing that comes to your mind and, um, no answer is, is right or wrong. It's just what it is. So what is the last book that you read or listened to? 3D Coaching. Who wrote that? Um, Jeff Jen, who actually okay. is in oh, yeah, Kansas yeah. City. Yeah, uh, that's why it sounds super familiar. Yeah, yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. 
Awesome. I love it. Um, that's probably my third time reading it too, but I just finished it the other day. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, if you weren't afraid, which it's timely that we're asking this question, uh, we always ask it, but um, <laughs> what would you do right now if you weren't afraid? What would I do right now if I weren't afraid? Oh my gosh. I would train for a triathlon. Boom. I'm a little, I'm a lot intimidated of open water swimming. And so that kind of keeps me back. I'm afraid of that. Awesome. Um, everyone has one of these. What is your favorite t-shirt? Right now it would be my Charlie Hustle Casey Hart shirt because we just submitted our NCAA bids, which is a whole nother podcast this day after the Super Bowl. And we use that theme, and I think about our city right now and how much I love our city. That's my favorite shirt. I love it. I love it. That's one of mine, too. Um, what is your favorite place on Earth? Oh, gosh. I, we have a very tiny lake house in Mound City, Kansas, and that's where I sat on our deck in 2014 and 15 and helped to plan the World Series Parade and sit there often and read. And it's the best thing we've ever done for our family is have a lake house with no television and no internet. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right, last thing, a little bit of a heavy hitter here. What is, when it's all said and done, what's one thing you want to be remembered for? That I cared about people. I was a nice person that I cared about others. I love it. Oh, man, Kathy, you got to run. I've already chewed up every ounce of time you've given us, um, but I think everybody's going to find huge value in it. Um, uh, I wish you and, and your team the best as we navigate the, these choppy waters here. Um, and and I, I can't thank you enough for opening your, your mind and your heart and your, your, uh, your experience uh, for all of us to, to share in. Well, I am flattered that you thought of me and so honored to spend some time with you. This has been great. Awesome, Kathy. Thanks so much. And um, everyone else, we will put all of this info in the show notes for you. Oh, last thing, Kathy, where can people follow along with you kind of on the journey? Um, our, well, we are on social media pretty heavily. And then my uh, Twitter account, I'm embarrassed. I should know this right off the top of my head. I think it's Kathy... Oh, gosh, I'm going to need to send it to you. No worries. We'll, we'll throw it in the show notes. But you're on Twitter. Um, the Sports Commission's on all the social media channels. And then yep. sportkc.org is the website. And we will link to all that in the show notes. So, Kathy, you got to run. Thanks so much for your time. And we'll talk soon. All right, Justin, thanks so much. You bet. Take care.